Well, good morning, Greenwich. Today is Thursday. It's July the 23rd, and I'm so very glad you've taken a little bit of your day uh, to listen uh, and to study and to reflect. Uh, definitely reach in your pocket and pull out your thinking cap and put that guy on. Um, uh, the psalm and the study uh, I think are so very important, and I do hope that you'll listen all the way to the end. Uh, there's, I think, some very significant uh, truth and material here that pulls together so much of what we've been thinking about, not just this week, but over the last several weeks uh, in our theology study. Uh, let me begin with our morning psalm, which, which is kind of a challenging psalm when you hear the opening words, um, and this psalm gets picked up in the New Testament, and I'll, I'll, I'll highlight that for you. So this is Psalm 53. Uh, it is for the director of music, and it is a psalm of David. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, and their ways are vile. There is no one who does good. God looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Everyone has turned away. They have together become corrupt. There was no one who does good, not even one. Will the evildoers never learn, those who devour my people as many bread and who do not call on God? There they were, overwhelmed with dread, where there was nothing to dread. God scattered the bones of those who attacked you. You put them to shame, for God despised them. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when God restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Amen. So the psalm begins in a hard place. The fool says there is no God. And then reflects on the reality of sin that has come to the human family. There is no one who is good. No one seeks God. Everyone has turned away. There's, there's the echo, uh, the language that, that Isaiah uh, picks up also. Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, which would be after the time of, after the time of David. So maybe uh, Isaiah is kind of pulling back to this psalm. And then it does end with, uh, oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. We've been talking about salvation, and salvation has come out of Zion. It has come out of the family of Abraham. And so this psalm, Psalm 53, a portion of it gets picked up in the book of Romans, um, where Paul writes this, uh, are, are we any better talking about the, the Jewish community? Are, are we any better? No, not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, and now he's quoting Psalm 53, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together together become worthless. There was no one who does good, not even one. And then it leads to that verse 23 in chapter 3 of Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so Paul takes this psalm 
and understands it. He puts it in context. Part of his argument that he's making that, that I'm going to come, come to a little bit later in our study. And so it's an important psalm. It's a little hard to read in our daily readings, but it becomes an occasion for our own confession of sin, an opportunity to repent, to, to rethink our lives, uh, to regret uh, the wrong we've done, to renounce that way of life and to return to God. And so I'm thankful for Psalm 53, even though it is a, a bit difficult. Okay, Theology 202, we've been talking about salvation this week. Salvation, particularly how does the, the cross of Jesus, um, what role does the Jesus' cross play in uh, the saving work of God? So, so, so far what we've talked about is the, the, uh, the rescue and the remedy because uh, that salvation means both rescue from enemies and the remedy or the restoration, kind of the healing and cure idea. So those two ideas, if, if the rescue and the remedy, they must be adequate or commensurate with the need. So you don't put a Band-Aid on a broken bone. You don't put a Band-Aid, you don't give an aspirin uh, for cancer. And so the treatment, uh, the, the remedy must be adequate uh, to the need. And so we've kind of been backing into it. When you look at the remedy, if this is how God saved the world by giving his own son to die an excruciating death on a crude Roman cross, executed as a state criminal, as it were, if that's the remedy, what in the world is the problem? And we've reflected on how we... Uh, tend to relativize or trivialize our sin. We're, we're all infected with it, okay? We all have this infection that we've inherited, as it were, uh, from our forebears. And so the, the sin of Adam and Eve has been transmitted to the entire human family. And so the cross communicates a pretty hard truth uh, about the human condition that all have sinned and fall short of the glory. As Psalm 53 said, there's no one who is righteous, not even one. And so there is the image of God in us. And so we, we do good things and we, and we, we, we build and we create and, and we love. And so it's not that we're all as bad as we could be, but we have committed treason. We have, we have usurped the right um, authority of God by becoming authority unto ourselves. The eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, taking unto ourselves that prerogative that belongs to God alone to be the final arbiter of right and wrong, good and evil. And so that's the treasonous act. We're, we're asking God to kind of kicking him off the throne as it were and we're um, enthroning ourselves. And so um, we, we've also been talking about making a connection between the Old Testament sacrificial system and then the cross of Jesus. That, that centuries of priestly practice as, as laid out in the Law of Moses uh, of the innocent substitute who offers their life for the life of another, the life for life, that the... the the penalty for treason is death. And so, Adam, the day you eat of this tree, you will die. There, there's this treasonous act is met with uh, an appropriate response. And so, 
even in our own nation, you know, treason is that highest offense because it's, it's, it's plotting the overthrow of the government, which destroys the entire, seeks to destroy the entire community. And so it, it rightly um, deserves a harsh punishment. So we've been, that's kind of some background to it. And today, um, very important, want to talk about the cross and want to bring this notion of atonement, okay? And so we looked a little bit at the, the atoning work that's laid out in the book of Leviticus, uh, the atonement and the justice of God, okay? So thinking cap, snug on. Justice, I would like to define this way, okay? It's being in alignment with the law or with the governing authorities, okay? And so justice is the state of being in conformity or in alignment with that which is lawful, okay? So we can think in the civil context, civil justice is when we're in compliance uh, with the law. That's a just society where the laws are being followed and that allows the thriving of the community. Injustice is when, when someone is out of alignment with the law, okay? And, and so um, in, in, the, in the biblical context, justice is being in line with the, the purposes and, and law of God and being in line with, with God. And so justice leads to freedom and to peace within the individual so one can sleep with a clear conscience knowing that we're, we're, in, a, we're in a just relationship. We are, we are doing well. And so there's freedom and peace individually, but more importantly, within the community. The community is free then to live when people are following the law, okay? Injustice, where the laws are not being followed, creates chaos and division and harm uh, within the community. And so justice also, biblically speaking, is talking about being in a right relationship with God, okay, that's the authority, and then being in a right relationship with our neighbors. So loving God and loving our neighbor is the call, and that's really a call to justice, to love God, love your neighbor, and then we live freely, we live in peace. And so that's justice, okay? Let that stand for our definition. Atonement is the process of restoring justice, okay? So biblically speaking, the... the the, the, the work of atonement has to do with restoring. When, when people are out of compliance, out of sorts, out of alignment with the law of God, atonement brings us back in. And so a sanction is imposed that is commensurate with the infraction. Okay, so there's a sanction or there's a penalty. And so it's bringing back in. And so a penalty is paid, the sanction is imposed, and then... Um, through, through the process, the atoning process, okay, justice is restored, okay? And so, so justice and atonement, I like to define that way, kind of in biblical terms, okay? I'm not going to really talk about civil legislation in the United States of America. I'm talking biblically. Okay, I think there are some parallels. So the Old Testament sacrificial system, we, we examined that a little bit yesterday, uh, establishes a framework for the saving purposes of God. It's a framework for understanding. It's a framework for thinking. The Old Testament sacrificial system, the, the 
process of atonement is the rescue, it is the remedy that God has um, given, if I could say it that way, it is, it is what God has given to save, okay? Because the rescue, the enemy, as we come to find out, is ultimately not a flesh and blood enemy. It's not a political, military enemy. Though, though there's a way of defining enemies that way, I understand that. The ultimate enemy is death as a result of the treason of the human family. Okay, so that's the enemy that God is wanting to rescue uh, his people from. And so the remedy, the healing or the cure, is to heal and to cure and to restore the impact of sin uh, in our lives. And so I think on Monday we talked about his name shall be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's the real enemy. Sin and death are, are, the, are the true enemy. And so the Old Testament sacrificial system embeds within the mindset of the covenant family this process of restoring order, of, of healing and rescuing and remedying the situation brought on by sin. And so an innocent or righteous substitute is given to bear the sanction for others. And so the life for life, the life is in the blood, this is what we said yesterday. Therefore, I have given the blood for atonement. There is a substitute. So the, the whole sacrificial system of the Old Covenant is to ingrain this notion of I have sinned, I have incurred the penalty, but the sanction falls upon a substitute. Okay, And so the animal that is offered life for life. So my life goes free. The penalty gets paid, okay? Uh, and so the, the blood is offered, blood that I should have shed. It should have been my blood, okay? I'm the, I'm the traitor, so I deserve the death. <laughs> but, but God provides for these animal substitutes. An innocent or righteous substitute is offered, bears the sanction. And so what happens, what's going on here there is a transfer of innocence, as it were. The innocence of the substitute is transferred to the guilty party, and the guilt of the uh, individual sinner or the community is transferred then to the uh, substitute, okay? Symbolized by the priest on the Day of Atonement laying his hands on the head of the scapegoat and then driving that, that scapegoat, that, that animal, that goat, out into the wilderness symbolizing the removal of the sin. There's been a transfer that's taken place, and so the innocence of the animal comes to the sinner, the guilt of the sinner transfers to the innocent substitute animal, and then the sins are removed. And of course, it was temporary. It had to be annually repeated, okay? And that's, that ends up being significant. And so the idea of this transfer, it's what the reformers called the great exchange, okay? Christ receives our sin, we receive his righteousness, okay? And so we see this symbolized in the Old Testament uh, uh, sacrificial system, all of which was foreshadowing and preparatory. And so, yes, God was forgiving them. There was this kind of temporary reprieve, but it annually had to be repeated. And so the demands of justice were being satisfied. The penalty or the sanction 
for the wrong was uh, was meted out. Okay, a, 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 a penalty wasn't was was received. The transfer took place. The community was released again from the burden of guilt, and so. Uh, then they, they went on living, and then in the course of the year, they would sin again. So on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, then the, the, the process would, re, would repeat itself, okay? And so this Old Testament sacrificial system is creating a framework for understanding how God was intending to save the world through Jesus Christ. That He becomes the innocent substitute. His blood is shed for the life of others, so life for life. And then the transfer, the, the guilt of the world, the guilt of others' sins were placed on Him. And then His righteousness, His innocence, was then transferred to uh, the, the guilty parties. And so that great exchange is taking place. So it's framed out for us, it's foreshadowed in the Old Testament sacrificial system, okay? And so the demands of God's justice of being brought into alignment or a, a, a sanction being imposed where there's out of all of that process, okay, justice is satisfied, we say, okay? And so, you know, when somebody does wrong, we say, we want justice. And what we mean by that is we want somebody to pay for what happened and we want the perpetrator to pay. Well, in, in, in God's demand for justice... Okay, there must be a penalty, and he chooses his own son to bear the penalty that rightly was incurred and should have been borne by others. And so that's, okay, the gospel starts to, to take shape here, okay? Now, keep your thinking cap on. Okay, Romans chapter 3, just after the all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God passage. Um, the, the, the whole passage you want to read is... Uh, chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. Let, let me go ahead and read it for you. It's, it's pretty dense, okay? So, again, thinking caps on. But now a righteousness from God, not from ourselves, okay? A righteousness from God, apart from law, okay? So, we're not trying to obey the law. God creates this righteousness, God, God, God imparts this righteousness, a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and prophets testify, okay? So this Mosaic law, the sacrificial system testifies to that righteousness, God with this transfer and this great exchange, okay? This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So if you place your faith in Jesus, the innocent sacrifice, the innocent substitute, then, then you receive this righteousness. That's the transfer, okay? There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. To be justified means to be made right with the law, to be brought into alignment with the law. And so there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is Jews and Greeks alike have, have fallen short and are justified, made right freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The redemption being that sacrifice on the cross. Here's the key verse. Romans 3.25. It would be worth memorizing this. You memorize John 3.16. Memorize Romans 3.25. God presented him 
God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this, God did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand that's going all the way back to all the old covenant sins. They're temporary. There was a temporary reprieve, okay? He, in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it so to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now, friends, that is as thick a biblical theological paragraph as there is in the entire Bible, but it is the crux of the matter. But I want to read verse uh, 25 in a different translation and tell me if your ears don't hear something, okay? So verse 25, whom God put forward, so presented, as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the sins previously committed. He had passed over the sins previously committed. Do our ears hear something there? Passover. Hmm. Jesus' death connects to the Passover. So, so let me try to unpack verse 25 a little bit. Again, thinking caps on. God presented Jesus. Okay, so the cross, I said, is a megaphone. God is presenting Jesus publicly. This hasn't happening kind of behind the veil in the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. This is now a public display, okay? And so God presented Jesus. Our translations say sacrifice of atonement. Other translations use a very highfalutin word called propitiation. Some translations call it mercy seat. Others say place of atonement. Wait a second. There is one Greek word, hilasterion. There is one Greek word that the translators of our English Bibles are trying to get at. And so sometimes they translate it, God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. Okay, well that's like this, this substitute, okay? Propitiation means to turn aside, to propitiate is to, to turn aside the wrath of someone, okay? So, it's, so the, the, Jesus propitiates the wrath of God, okay? But the same word is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, of the atonement cover, the mercy seat, the place of atonement. And so, in, in Leviticus chapter 16 that we spoke of, that we, we referred to yesterday, on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, the high priest goes into the holy place, and before the Ark of the Covenant, remember there's that, that holy box, as it were. Inside it were the Ten Commandments and Aaron's uh, rod. And, and there were these winged creatures, these, these cherubim, okay? And that cover, the, the, the cover of the box, the lid of the box, okay? That 
was understood to be the throne of God. That's where God would manifest himself. And the priest would come in and they would wave uh, some incense and a cloud there would cover and that would symbolize the presence of God. And then he would take the blood of the sacrifice and smear it on the uh, cover, that atonement cover. That was also referred to as the mercy seat. That's where God's mercy was made known. The, the, the justice was being, that's like the judge, that's like the bench of the judge, okay? And that the sinner comes and pleads and takes the blood of the innocent substitute and there presents it before the judge and the, the justice is satisfied, the penalty has been paid, and the people go free. And so that place is called the mercy seat. What Paul is saying in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, the cross of Jesus is the mercy seat. That's where the blood of the innocent substitute that was foreshadowed in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, that, that elaborate ritual that would go on year after year after year, was, was foreshadowing something that would happen, that God knew was going to happen that God presented Jesus as the mercy seat. He presented the cross as that throne, that place where God's justice and mercy come together. And so the sin must be paid for. The, 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 the penalty for treason is death. And so death happens. The death of a substitute. And so God's demands for justice are satisfied, the penalty is paid, but his mercy is revealed, and so he forgives and releases his people from the burden of their guilt. That place where that happens is called the mercy seat in the Old Covenant, and it's in that Holy of Holies where only the high priest goes. Now God does this publicly in front of the whole world. And so Jesus Christ, his cross, is the mercy seat. And so the cross is the atonement cover. It is the mercy seat. I'm saying that. God demonstrates his justice because he passed over former sins. All the sins of the old covenant people, they were kind of, they were deferred. <laughs> the, the, there was a temporary reprieve. The annual a ritual was to create this context, sin is really serious, it requires the death of a substitute. And so you are free, but it was an annual reminder, but all of that was foreshadowing when there would come a once-for-all sacrifice, the sacrifice of his own son, the, the innocent lamb of God, whose blood was like a Passover blood. And so the angel of death passed over the homes of the Hebrew people whose whose doorposts had been sprinkled with blood. And so Paul pulls that same language of the Passover. So what, what Romans 3.25 is doing is helping us understand that's what all of that Old Testament stuff was about. Jesus' blood is the Passover blood. And so the angel of death passes over. And so those people who have placed their faith in Jesus and his blood and in the cross, they will be passed over in the judgment. We are set free. We are liberated as the people of God. We're liberated from slavery. Ours is not a slavery to a political enemy, Egypt or Rome. Ours is the slavery to our sin. And so God, the, the, the blood of Jesus is the Passover blood. And then the way we get in on that is by faith in that death, 
in that blood of Jesus. And so God justifies. He makes us right. As we place our faith in the death of Jesus Christ, the innocence of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus is transferred to us. Our guilt that we have rightly incurred because of our treasonous acts against the throne of heaven is transferred to Jesus. He pays the penalty. The innocent substitute dies. That blood is presented before the judge and the judge declares the pardon and mercy is given to the sinner. And so the demands of justice are satisfied, atonement is accomplished, the order in the kingdom is restored, and then, and then the innocent substitute dies. And so that's the mystery, is God doesn't use an animal anymore. He uses his very own son, whose innocent blood is offered for our lives. And so he justifies or makes right those who have faith in Jesus. And so the cross of Jesus is bringing together the Day of Atonement. It's bringing together the Passover. All of that being brought together into one concept. That which is so essential for the Old Covenant people. Passover and the Day of Atonement all joined together. They were foreshadowing what happened at Calvary the death of Jesus. This is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By faith in His blood, we are forgiven. That's why God had to do this. So the cross of Jesus. So, well, how are how are how does God save through the death of Jesus, the cross of Jesus? Well, why? Because of treason, because of justice. And so God, the gospel, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a treasonous wretch like me. And so it comes together right there. And so Romans 3.25, it's such a dense verse, it's hard to memorize, to be honest with you. Because it's so complex, the concepts are, are, are graduate level, okay? But if we can get our hands around this one, this is why we call it amazing grace. And so I hope we got tomorrow, Friday, and Saturday to, to talk a little bit more about this. But I hope that you can grasp this because this says we are free. <laughs> we are forgiven. The innocence of Jesus is now belongs to us. When God looks at us, He looks at us as if we were innocent like His own Son, that we were sinless like His own Son, that we were righteous and in right relationship with Him like His own Son. And so we're going to talk about what that means in these next couple days. You may have to watch this one again. I get it. <laughs> if you have watched to the end of this, I would love to have you uh, email me. Uh, I've, I've begun to gather with a group of folks who do watch all the way to the end. We call it the bitter enders. <laughs> um, but I don't think this is a bitter end to this one. This is the sweet end. 
This is the savory end of, and so if you've watched all the way to this moment, send me an email. Would love to invite you to our discussion group as we talk through uh, the week, the daily studies, uh, week by week, and, and go a little deeper. So, anyway, I'd like to close with prayer, uh, with gratitude for your interest and attention, and I pray that this has been helpful to your faith, hope, and love. Let's pray. Almighty God, how we thank you for the blood of Jesus, the Passover lamb, the innocent substitute, the scapegoat whose death accomplishes our salvation, our justification. You have made us right once and for all. You've made us right with you, with the law of heaven, and so restored to right relationship, we are now free. We are at peace. We can live as a free and saved and rescued and healed and restored people. To live openly with the love for God and love for neighbor as you would have us, as you've created us to be in your image. And so I pray for all these who have listened that our own hearts might be renewed and refreshed and rejoice as we worship you for what you have done for us that we never could have done for ourselves. And so, Father, pour forth your Spirit richly that we may live this day and these coming days in new and in fresh power. And, Lord, use us in Greenwich, in the ministry of Greenwich, use us beyond Greenwich in our neighborhoods, our homes, our places of work, in the community, our schools, to live with joy and with freedom and to live as those who have been reconciled and made right with God, that we may spread this message, this hope, this life everywhere we go. And so keep us in your care. We pray for healing for those in the Greenwich family in need of of physical healing and strength for restoration and comfort for those who mourn. And in all situations, O oh Lord, may we show ourselves to be the faithful followers of Jesus, our righteous sacrifice and substitute, our Lord. And so we make our prayers in His name, even as He taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, may the God who presented Jesus as the righteous substitute and sacrifice, may that God who has set you free and justified you, may that God bless you with peace and hope and comfort this day and forevermore.